This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. This is lesson number five um, and the wrap-up lesson for the series that we've entitled Distorted. When it comes to values and truths in our culture such as holy living and righteousness and marriage and morality and even gender identity, Satan has distorted truth. And before we wrap up this series, I want to deal with one more area of distortion in a lesson that I'm calling, Who's Responsible? Now, the motivation for this lesson comes from looking at current events in our country. There, there are drastic shifts in principles that clearly go against the Bible. And one of the problems is that nobody wants to accept blame for these behaviors that are now considered in our country to be progress and part of the new normal in the United States of America where our currency still says in God we trust and our, and our pledge still says one nation under God. And, and so we get involved in playing the blame game. We as individual Christians blame the church because we feel the church isn't leading like they should, and it probably isn't. And then the church blames the government because we feel the government isn't leading like they should, and they probably aren't. The government blames the previous administration because they didn't lead as they should, and they probably didn't. And then Democrats blame Republicans because they say they're the hindrance to progress and don't care about social issues and environmental issues. And then Republicans blame the Democrats because they say they're leading, but leading us down the road to destruction. Nobody in America is willing to say, I'm part of the problem. I haven't lived right, or my attitude hasn't been right, or, or how I haven't stood up for things that I should have stood up for, or or I didn't pray for my country like I should have, or I didn't raise my kids like I should have, instead of accepting blame, it seems that all we want to do is blame someone else. Which, of course, isn't new. This blame game started back at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And as they say, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. I know that was bad. <laughs> but, but then not only do we want to shift the blame for all the bad things that, that are going on in our culture, but when it comes to being responsible to set the tone for righteousness and for holiness and for moral purity, we also want to pass that responsibility off to someone else. Individual Christians want to push that off to the church. They, they believe it's the responsibility of the church to make the society godly and, and, and holy. But, but then the church feels that their hands are tied. And so they look to the government as the agency that has the power to set values and principles for marriage and purity. And so again, just as we want to pass the blame for the bad changes in America on to others, we want to also pass the responsibility for positive change to others. So I think a valid question that merits our discussion today is who, who in our country is responsible to promote values of righteousness? Who is it that should set the tone for lifestyle holiness? 
Who is it that should help establish principles for a proper view of marriage? You know, we see the depth of of this confusion after every presidential election as as different administrations take office and as there are shifts in congressional power. And if you're of the opposing party, it doesn't matter. But if the opposing party, you will make comments such as, well, our country is done. You know, with a president like this or a government like this or a Congress like this, you can kiss America goodbye or you can kiss any chance that values regarding the sanctity of marriage or the sanctity of life or any other Judeo-Christian values will ever be restored. It's over. But my question is this. Is government the agency that God has appointed to instill principles of morality and holiness? Is government the agency that God has appointed to be the spiritual conscience of our nation? Well, today we want to talk about what has become very distorted in our minds. What does the Bible really say is the role of government? What does the Bible say is the role of the church? What does the Bible say is the role of individual followers of Jesus Christ? Now, to to give a a biblical foundation for this lesson, I want us to look at four very basic but foundational absolutes. Absolute number, number one, there are two kingdoms in conflict. I I think we forget this. And because we forget this, we default to blaming people or we blame governments or we blame political parties. But we must never forget that there are two kingdoms. One kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that is eternal. Jesus came to champion this kingdom. But the second kingdom is a temporal, earthly kingdom that is comprised of humans And many times this kingdom does not line up with the values of the spiritual kingdom. I mean, Jesus says this in John 18, 36. I'm not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So as we look at the twisted values in our world and and the distortion of the institution of marriage and and the conflict over racism and, and Frankly, the doggy dog world we live in, don't forget that these issues are caused because we're living in the middle of two kingdoms that are butting heads. Uh, to kind of get a visual here, picture two goats butting heads in the middle of a field. That's what's happening with the two kingdoms. Jesus came to earth and commissioned us to help build a spiritual kingdom that will ultimately be completed when Jesus returns. But until then, human institutions, human governments, sinful people like us, who many times are controlled by Satan, we make up the earthly kingdom, and more times than not, it will be in direct conflict with Christ's spiritual kingdom, their budding heads. Absolute number one. Absolute number two, every believer has dual citizenship. Now, we're all citizens of a, of a country. Most of us listening today are citizens of the United States of America. But then, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Scripture says this in Philippians 3.20, we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. So, so the words of, 
of that old song are really true. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Our, our real citizenship is in an eternal place where, where things don't turn to rust and dust. And, and, and listen, because our eternal home is forever, our major focus should be making preparations and laying up treasures for the kingdom of heaven. Because that's forever. Now, having said that, let me quickly say that until God calls us home, we do have a responsibility to both kingdoms. You can't say, well, I'll worry about heaven later. Because right now I'm here on earth and, and I'm going to just focus on earthly things. No, you make preparations for heaven now. Later is too late. You make preparations now in this life while you're still sucking air. But on the other hand, neither can you say, well, well, I'm a Christian and so I'm focusing on heaven and therefore don't have to obey the laws of the land. If you're a committed follower of Jesus, you have dual citizenship and have a responsibility to this earthly kingdom as well as the heavenly kingdom. Jesus said that in the book of Mark when he said, you know, give to Caesar what belongs to him. Everything that belongs to God must be given to God. Now, let, let me address something here, and listen very, very carefully. You listening? I am not of the opinion that some have when they equate patriotism with godliness. I don't believe that's biblical. I don't believe that just because you're a good American citizen, that it means that you're a good Christian. Uh, that there are a lot of great conservative flag-waving, pledge-saying Americans that are far from God, that are very wicked. But as long as we choose to enjoy the blessings and the comforts and the privileges of our host country, and for most of us, maybe there are a few ex exceptions if you're listening to the live stream in another country, we welcome you, but uh, for most of us, our host country is the United States of America. And if we're going to enjoy the comforts and the privileges of this country, then as Christians, it's important to show ourselves as good, law-abiding, and even supportive citizens. It doesn't mean that we'll agree with everything in the country. But if we choose to enjoy the blessings that we have as Americans, and there are many blessings, if, if you are not aware of some of the blessings we have as Americans, you need to get a taste of the real world, travel outside of the country for a couple of weeks. When you get back to town, you're going to kiss the ground and thank God for Eldorado Springs. Um, if we're going to enjoy the comforts and the blessings of our host country, it's a, it is our responsibility as Christians to be model citizens of this nation. So absolute number two is that we have dual citizenship, and as long as we are on earth, we must fulfill our responsibility to our earthly government, but then at the right time, if we have made adequate preparations and have accepted Jesus as our Savior and are serving Him, then we will transition to our heavenly home. And I probably need to emphasize something here where I said making adequate preparations. Did you know that not everybody goes to heaven? Not all dogs go to heaven nor do all people go to heaven. And certainly no cats go to heaven. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. 
Must have been inspired by the Lord, though. Um, Not everybody goes to heaven. Um, Our default, did you know that our default eternal home is hell? When we reach the age of accountability to where we begin understanding right from wrong, our default eternal home is hell. But God has made provision through his son so that when we confess our sins and give our life to him and follow him, we are given citizenship in heaven. This is a message that Cedar County, Missouri needs to hear. We have come to believe that when anybody dies, they automatically go to a better place. Not true. Only if they have accepted the wonderful grace of Jesus and turned from their sins will they go to heaven. Aren't we having fun? Absolute number three. Human governments are ordained by God to restrain evil. Romans 13 talks about this. It says the authorities are established by God for that very purpose, to punish those who do wrong. So you must obey the government for two reasons, to keep from being punished and to keep a clear conscience. Government was not designed to change people's hearts. Now, the government can create laws that limit evil, but they in themselves are not the agency that God established to bring about revival, righteousness, nor principles of holiness. And by the way, relax a little bit. Some of you are getting nervous. But in the last 40 years, isn't it true that both parties... Republican Democrats have had a season where their party enjoyed the presidency, the majority in the Senate, the majority in the House. And again, whether that was Democrat or Republican, how did that work out for revival? See, you see, the church has, has fallen into thinking, okay, if we can just get this person elected as president, and if we can just see a certain party get control of the House and the Senate, and if we can just get Supreme Court justices that agree with us, then we will see a spiritual surge and see people turn back to God Historically, it doesn't work that way. It hasn't worked that way in our country. It hasn't worked that way in other countries. In fact, do you know when, just studying back a little bit of history, do you know when Christianity really began to struggle and take on a watered-down version? Pay close attention. Christianity began to struggle when Constantine, in the early 300s, made a shift in the Roman Empire and began to look favorably at Christianity. Now, now Constantine had not, had not been a follower of Jesus, but, but, but you've heard the story, he had a dream of a cross. And, and so through that, uh, and, and evidently it was not immediate, it, it was not instantaneous, but, but he began to come to the realization that, that it was about Jesus. And so he eventually uh, became uh, a follower of Jesus. Which is wonderful. And so, as a follower of Jesus, he wanted to make Christianity an accepted religion of the Roman Empire. Now, in the past, I've always said, well, you know, he made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. And and, and probably that's not correct uh, historically. But but he did want it to be an accepted religion of the Roman Empire, which again is wonderful. And you would have thought that with the restrictions being lifted... You know, Christians had been persecuted, and and so now the restrictions were lifted, and that was the accepted religion, the popular religion, and and the religion of the emperor. You would have thought that Christianity would have taken off, and there would have been revival. Not so. 
In fact, that is when the church began to cool off and become lukewarm. And instead of a vibrant, strong church, it became Christian just pretty much in name. To me, that's so interesting. <laughs> Down through history, a government that favors Christianity, Christianity does not mean that the church will experience a revival in biblical values and righteousness. But yet, that's what we still think today. You know, if we can just get so-and-so elected, our nation will turn back to God. Do you know where some of the greatest pockets of revival are right now? One is in China. And, and, and China, our missionaries had to leave China because kind of the area they were working in began to limit what they could even do and say and pretty much limit any mention of Christianity and Christ. And, and so they left China. And uh, so, the, so the government has cracked down on uh, just any attempt to proselytize. And, and that right now, there is incredible revival taking place in China places where the government are very much anti-Christian. You know another place where there's tremendous revival? Iran. A government far from being supportive of Christianity. So we must not fall for the mistake of thinking that getting a like-minded president or, or getting a like-minded Congress will automatically bring America back to God. It doesn't work that way. That's a major distortion in our minds. Uh, governments can restrain evil, but they can't change people's hearts. Uh, again, you can look back on administrations and presidents that had biblical values that you agreed with, you know, values on, on marriage and, and abortion and, and many other things. But how many times do we ever remember that president, that administration, bringing a revival of values and spiritual transformation to the country? They might have tried. But the bottom line is God did not designate the government as the agency that will bring about a spiritual transformation in our country. And I know some of you are just shocked that I would have the courage to say that. Let's go to absolute number four. The church is ordained by God to make disciples. The, the role of the church has become so distorted in our minds. God clearly gives us the role of the church in Matthew chapter 28. You know, the scripture that we call the Great Commission says to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the primary purpose of this church and every church, to make disciples. That's why you don't see us as a church getting involved in a lot of political initiatives. Frankly, we lost some people from this church during this last election because they wanted us to get way more involved in the political process. They wanted us to speak up for certain political people and, and against others. And, you know, there, there are some people that if we would announce a rally for or against certain political issues, they would come even if it were 6 o'clock in the morning, but you announce a prayer meeting to pray for lost souls that are dying on their way to hell. It's like, ooh, that's too early, Pastor. God... This is going to go against the grain here, but God has not called the church to become the big political bully. God has called the church to help people come to know Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement here at this local church, is help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The government has the power to restrain evil. 
But governments aren't the agency to create righteousness. The church is the agency. God has commissioned to help people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then hopefully they will live out and and teach and spread principles of righteousness and holiness in our country. Now with those absolutes, I'd like to be able to say, well, the Lord bless you. You're dismissed. Uh, Have a nice day. But I think with these absolutes, even though they give us a foundation, they they don't give us a practical action plan. So what, what, what can we do to see this country have a revival of holiness and Christian values? And there are three principles that flow out of these absolutes that will take us into some practical principles. Here's the first one. You ready? Principle number one, Let the church be the church. And again, why does the church exist? To see people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And again, I don't believe God called the church to be the big political machine that's loud and proud and in your face and intimidates and, you know, guilts people into political action. But I do believe that church members should penetrate and and infiltrate and be involved in government. It's a wonderful thing when, when God-fearing people are in government and on city councils and on school boards and part of civic organizations. But God did not designate the church to be the agency to push political agendas. The church needs to be the church. By the same token, neither did God call the church to solve all of the social issues in our society. I do think that the church should have a level of compassion that causes us to be leaders in feeding the hungry and providing clean drinking water and sanitation to countries where that's not available and and other worthy projects. I I, I believe also the church should model being colorblind when it comes to skin color and race. I believe the church should be leaders in performing good deeds in local communities. But but understand, those things are not the highest calling of the church. The, The social gospel is wonderful, but that alone doesn't prepare people for heaven. The highest calling of the church is to make disciples, see lost sinners, accept the grace of Jesus, and the church needs to stay on track. Now, really fast, let me give three specific ways Scripture tells us to help us stay on track. First of all, Scripture tells us we should pray. That's kind of funny. The church should pray? You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. So, Oh, do you know what it means to pray for all people? It means to pray for all people. Red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. And then it goes on and says, and as you make your request, plead for God's mercy upon them and give thanks. So, so pray that God would have mercy on this lost society. But we're not only to just pray for the average citizen, but verse 2 says, pray this way for kings and all others who are in authority. So Here's a test. This is a test only. And don't raise your hand. How many of you prayed for our president yesterday? Don't raise your hands. Um, My observation is that Christians, when it comes to government, we tend to be some of the most negative, critical people, and we blog and we email and we post and send forwards to one another to say, if you don't pass this on, then you don't love America. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we would take equal time and equal energy and just pray for our leaders. Do do you believe that 
Criticism or prayer makes a greater impact? How many of you would say, well, criticism makes a greater impact? How many of you would say, well, prayer makes a greater impact? But why is it that we seemingly limit what we do to just being critical? So why is it that we should pray for our government so that we can live in peace and quietness, (laughs) in godliness and dignity? This is good, pleases our... God our Savior, for He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So there are four things that take place when we pray for our government. One is there will be peace. I want peace. Secondly, there'll be quietness, not a lot of drama. Now, some of you like drama. Um, I like quietness. It says godliness. I think that's what we want. And dignity, which we want as well. So, so praying for our leaders brings about peace, quietness, godliness, dignity, That seems like the type of country I want to be part of. And how does that happen? Praying for all people and for our leaders in government. But then did you notice what it said in verse 4 as we pray for our leaders? It pleases the Lord in our prayers, help our leaders lead better. And somehow, some way, I don't understand this, but God will cause people to be saved and, and catch this and understand truth. Today, our leaders don't understand truth. That's why they support the behaviors they do. They don't understand truth. But Scripture says that when we pray for our leaders, let's just take this, our situation today. You know, our new morality and our distorted value system. What's the first step in combating the new morality? Not the political process, but prayer, because this will help our leaders to understand truth. Leads us to the second responsibility of the church, teach God's word. You know, as I said, I believe the church will be involved in some of the social issues troubling our world, but we can't forget that the church needs to major on teaching the word. America has become illiterate with regards to the Bible. And so if the church doesn't teach the word, who will? You know, the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was, there was a teaching that was going on. We must teach the Word as a church. Third way that the church is to be the church is to model holiness. And, and the church needs to get back to living out our holy ways, our holiness. And in Hebrews 12, it says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You say, well, Pastor, it's so hard to live a holy life in this day and age. Well, the early church didn't have it e- easy either. You know, the people in that day lived in a corrupt culture with a corrupt government where there was terrible injustice, gross immorality, all kinds of false gods. But as they lived out their lives of holiness, it made an impression on those wicked people that had different values than they did. And even sinners were impressed. And this scripture so impacts me. They were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. That's the way the church should operate. We should be moral. We should not be gossipers. We should be kind, even on Facebook. We should be colorblind when it comes to skin. We should be compassionate to the poor and even to those on meth. When Christians live like Christians and when their social media posts are not constant lashing out at people or governments, and when even the social media posts line up to the standard of holiness, then Christians are the most winsome, attractive, and even powerful group on the face of the earth. 
And so let's let the church be the church. Let's pray like crazy. Let's teach the word without compromise. And let's radically live out our holiness in a messed up world. Let the church be the church. Could I hear an amen? Amen. Principle number two. I told you we're going to have a lot of fun today. Don't expect the government to achieve what only the church can achieve. Remember, God ordained the government to restrain evil. The government can't create righteousness. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it doesn't matter who gets in office. It's very important to have politicians in place who honor God because when you have enough people in office who have a sense of values, it's easier for lawmakers to put in place good laws that restrain evil. In fact, if during the history of our country we would have had more righteous people in the Senate and in the House and in the presidency and in the Supreme Court, then probably slavery would have been abolished much earlier. If we would have more righteous people in office, then probably abortion would have never become legal. If we would have had more righteous people in office, all of the distortions in marriage wouldn't have come about. But here's what I want to emphasize. The government can create those laws, but they can't bring about righteousness. They can't bring about heart change. They can't bring about revival. And so, the church needs to quit looking at the government for spiritual change. I love what Chuck Colson said. He said, the danger with Christian political movements per se is that they tend to make the gospel hostage to particular political agendas. And this is powerful. He said, you may wrap the cross in the flag and make God a prop for the state, but this can lead to confusion between the American dream and the kingdom of God. You know, conservatism, of which probably I would be one uh, that would subscribe to that, is not the primary emphasis of the church. The emphasis of the church is that we are sinners, but God sent his son so that we could be forgiven and experience life in Christ. The, the church must not be hijacked nor sidetracked, sidetracked from making disciples. Principle number three. This is where it really gets close. Don't expect the church to achieve what only individual believers can achieve. You know, just as we mistakenly think that the government can fix our spiritual woes if we get the right people in office, sometimes we have unbiblical expectations of the church. And we think that if the church is the agency that can bring revival, and we, we think that the church is the agency that can bring revival and renewal, and we think, well, if the church would just do things right, if the pastor would just do things right, more people would come to Jesus. But if you look at revival movements down through the years, many times they begin with one person. Obeying God, being used by God. And it is important to have good leadership in the church. But sometimes we expect the church to do what only we as individual Christians are supposed to do. They say today that 90% of unchurched people will not go to a church building. So my question is, how, how do we reach them? The church has to go to them, which means you have to go to them. I have to go to them. Let me tell you how this works. One of the volunteers in our, in our church here helped with VBS a few weeks ago. What was it? A month ago or so. Um, 
But anyway, this volunteer felt called to befriend a mom that had sent her kids to VBS, but she had absolutely no interest in being part of any church, not just this church, but any church. And in fact, I think an accurate statement would be that she hated church and she hated what the church stood for and perhaps even had a borderline hatred for God. Nothing to do with anything, but, you know, when there's VBS around, it kind of provides some free child care for a few days, and so a lot of parents will send their kids, and that, that was kind of the mom. Um, but anyway, this volunteer in our church befriended um, the single parent of three kids that came, and talk about a challenge, because this mom had walls that were a mile high, just skeptical of everything. But it's amazing. When we love as we're supposed to love as individual Christians, the Holy Spirit, when we do what we're supposed to do, the Holy Spirit does what He's supposed to do. Have you found that out? And in a matter of a month, this lady has softened dramatically. The walls are coming down. She is now initiating calls to this volunteer. They've established a relationship, a friendship, to where there is uh, some fairly deep level of sharing that's taking place. Her, her, her mindset is changing drastically. She hasn't come to Christ yet, but there's an openness that wasn't there one month ago. Don't expect the church... Don't expect the church to do what individual believers are supposed to do. One more example here, the responsibility of individuals. There's, there's another person in, in our church here that has been trying to impact one of his neighbors. It's, it's been a rather long process. For the last 10 years or so, they have developed a, a friendship strictly outside of church. Nothing to do with church. Uh, but the neighbor, though a wonderful person, was not really open to spiritual things, and people would come knocking on his door. Sometimes they do that, uh, you know, just inviting them to church, and, and, and uh, he, he'd just kind of run them off. He didn't really have time, and he, and he wasn't ugly, he just didn't have time for them. And, but, but the person in this church who would not consider himself to be anything special at all just kept loving him. And the person who had no interest in church watched his life and even talked to other people to investigate his life. And he began to realize that this person truly loved him. And again, this has been about a 10-year process. One week ago today, this person, uh, again, part of our local church here that had invested 10 years of his life into him, he had the amazing privilege of praying with him and leading him to Christ. Talk about rejoicing. And again, this person wouldn't consider himself to be anything great, just kind of a common person. But this person in our church was almost bouncing off of the walls in awe that God could use him. That right there is what we're supposed to do. If this person would have waited for him to go to church, then who knows if he would have ever come to Christ. We can't expect the church to do what only we can do. So, 
As we wrap up our series, I think we all probably need to adjust our mentality. Let's, let's support our country and our government with our prayers and let them do what they're supposed to do, and that's restrain evil. But then we need to step up as a church and let the church be the church and pray and teach truth and model holiness. And then when we, as individual believers, uh, we need to befriend and get involved with those who are lost. And through our prayers and through our lives, through our words, hopefully see them come to Jesus. So as we wrap up our series, here's, here's what I'd like for us to do today. I want you just in your mind and your heart, I want you to think of who you believe that God maybe is impressing on you to make a difference in their lives. Don't think that you can go to them this afternoon and win them to the Lord. It may happen, but it's rare. But begin investing your life in them and praying for them, loving them. And if you do your job, the Holy Spirit will do His job. And He will begin bringing people to Christ. So, the distortion of this lesson is that we think the government, they're the ones that are going to bring back righteousness. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. I don't care who it is. I don't care if a Republican government gets in next time. It ain't going to happen. And if we're relying on the church to win people, remember the 90% won't go to the church. So the personal responsibility comes down to us. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And here's what I'd like for us to do as we wrap up this lesson and wrap up our series. I don't want to force you to do this, but if there's some of you that you've just kind of been, a name has come to mind. And remember, they're not just the name, but they're, they're people that have souls that are going to live forever. So, I'd like for those of you that would like to, if you have those names in mind, would you want to just bring them to the altar today? You can kneel, you can stand, and just symbolically say, okay, Lord, I'm bringing this individual to you, and with God's help, I'm going to make a difference in their lives. Would you just come and bring your neighbors, your relatives? And let's just spend a little bit of time praying for them right now. Let's expect God to use us to do what, you know what, the government can't do and even the church can't do, but we can. God, I thank you for your word. Your, your word isn't always pleasant. Your word always, isn't always what we want to hear. It's not always easy. But Father, thank you just for the the instructions that you've given us. And Lord, we thank you for our government. And as they restrain evil, I pray that instead of just giving the ugly Facebook posts or the all constant criticism, I pray that we would pray for them because that, your word says, it, it, it's kind of strange, but your word says that that will help us to live in peace and dignity and with quietness. So Lord, I pray that I pray for our government right now, our leaders. Lord, I pray for this church. I, I, I know that at times we failed. We haven't done everything right. But, 
Lord, I thank you for our board of directors that has tried really hard to do what's best and the staff that we've tried really hard to do what's best. And, and Lord, I pray that we would provide leadership uh, in, in these difficult days. But then, Lord, I also want to pray for us as individual believers. We want the church to be the church, but then we want Christians to be Christians as well. And God, you've put it on us to be able to be salt and, and light in, in, in darkness and Lord, I pray that in a society that sometimes doesn't have any flavor, but Lord, let us just be able to sprinkle the right amount of salt and they could see in, in, in our lives that there's something wonderfully different. And so, Lord, I pray that as we have come bringing certain people to you and in our minds and in our hearts, I ask God that you would help us to make a difference and, and that there would be people that would come to know Jesus as a result. And Lord, for some, it may be in, in just a few days, more than likely it'll be a few months or sometimes years. But Father, I pray that we would begin pouring our lives and investing in, in people that have a soul that is never dying and God, that we would help uh, prepare people for the other kingdom that, Lord, takes place after our last breath. So, Lord, I just pray right now that you would help us as we begin this journey to make a difference. Lord, as we begin just praying for people and loving people and making a difference in their lives, I pray, God, that we would be the church and we would be individuals that honor you, bring glory to your name. So God, as we leave this place, let us be, just maybe have a, a mindset change. And Lord, that we would uh, just see a new day take place in our lives and in our church and in our community and in our country. Lord, we thank you again. Thank you for these people that I call my brothers and sisters in Christ. Use us to build your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you. I hope you still love me. <laughs> you have to. You may not want to. You may not like me, but you have to. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.